Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners, people who understand that this show takes hours to make. Not just the hours of editing and talking and researching and reading books and inviting guests on, but also the hours of training it took for Tiffany to have as much knowledge about Rome as she does, and all the training I went through to know about radio to have the ability to make this show. So my thanks today go out to these listeners, Liz and Susanna and Sherry and Jill and Devendra, Morgan, Kieran, Mary, Angela, and Anna. Thank you so much for your support of this show. Like all arts, we rely on the people who love it to support it. Think of it like buying a painting or buying a book. If you listen every week and you love what you hear, support the show with whatever you can. You'll find links in the show notes or visit thebittersweetlife.net to discover ways to support the show. Thank you so much. Now, on to the program. I'm Katie Sewell, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Tiffany Parks. Hello, and welcome to The Bittersweet Life. I'm Tiffany Parks, and this is your midweek bittersweet moment. A few weeks ago on this podcast, on bittersweet moment number 139, I talked all about some of the most amazing works of art, particularly frescoes and oil paintings, that you can find and admire absolutely for free in some of Rome's churches. Make sure you go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. We had such a great response from you that I've decided to continue the series by talking about some of the greatest sculptures that you can see in Rome's churches absolutely for free. Now, when you think about sculpture in Rome, the names Michelangelo and John Lorenzo Bernini will inevitably pop into your mind. We are very lucky that these two artists, who are arguably the greatest sculptors in the world, spent the majority of their careers here in Rome. So we have many, many of their works to see and admire. But there are a few other artists whose sculptures you can find in Rome's churches. So, um, so I'll, I won't be talking only about Bernini and Michelangelo. Just as in the mini episode on paintings, I'm also going to go in chronological order this time too. So we're going to start at San Pietro in the Vatican. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but it is absolutely free to go into St. Peter's Basilica. Many major churches in the world will charge you to go into them. That is not the case in Rome. And we're very, very lucky that only with a few exceptions, when you want to go in and see particular works of art that might be hidden or might be in a, a separate part of the church or going up to the top of the dome, things like that, you might have to pay for that. But generally speaking, when you go to a church in Rome, it is going to be free. So at St. Peter's Basilica, you're probably thinking, I'm going to talk about the Pietà. Well, of course, I will talk about the Pietà, but in chronological order, there is an earlier sculpture in that church, and that is the portrait of St. Peter seated on a throne. This work of art is a bronze piece that was created by Arnalfo di Cambio. 
Like Pietro Cavallini, who I mentioned in the previous Free Art in Churches mini-episode, Arnolfo di Cambio is the earliest artist in his medium, in sculpture, whose name has been remembered, whose name has been recorded. With the exception, obviously, of artists who were working in ancient times, um, he is the very first. Up until that point, if you were working and creating specifically religious works of art, your name would not be remembered and the work would be anonymous. So we clearly have to recognize simply from this fact alone that um, Arnalfo di Cambio was an incredibly important artist. The statue of St. Peter is in, on the nave, basically. If, you, if you're going up the central nave, right before you get to the high altar to get to the transept, you will find the statue of St. Peter on your right-hand side. And if you go up close to him, you'll see, first of all, you might notice people walking by and rubbing his right foot. This is considered to be very good luck, although that might be a secular way of describing it. Catholics would probably say this offers some kind of blessing or maybe even an indulgence not sure uh, what the official uh, line is on it, but people have been doing this literally for centuries. And you'll see that his right foot, the toes of his right foot, because of course he's wearing sandals, they are all completely worn away. And it looks like he's wearing a boot. Whereas if you look at the left foot, which of course nobody would rub the left foot because left is, at least back in the day, anything left was considered sinister. In fact, the word in Italian is sinistra. No one has touched that foot. Everyone focuses on the right foot. And they used to kiss his foot, but that, uh, that has gone out of fashion in the last 50 or so years. Now, of course, you'll also find the Pietà in this church, and that is our next stop on this chronological tour of the sculptures in Rome's churches. In the very first chapel on the right-hand side, you will find Michelangelo's masterpiece, the Pietà. It is seated behind a very thick wall of bulletproof glass, which might surprise you if it's your first time visiting. This is because it was attacked in the early 70s, so it is for the protection of the Pietà. So don't use flash when you're taking a photo or it will just shine right back at you. Um, it's hard to describe the Pietà when you're not standing right in front of it. I've done many tours talking about the Pietà. I often will choke up when I talk about the Pietà simply because it is so incredibly moving and photographs really don't quite do it justice. Maybe a photograph of a detail that you can see very closely. But I will give you a very, very few details about this work of art. First of all, it was created between 1498 and 1499. It was originally in the first St. Peter's Basilica because of course this basilica had not yet been built when Michelangelo created that sculpture. You'll notice a few odd things about, about it. First of all, Mary is enormous. She is much, much larger than Christ. If she could stand up and Christ could stand up, she would tower over him. Michelangelo didn't do this on accident, of course. He really didn't do anything on accident. Different art historians have different views, but many agree that he was trying to create the impression that Mary is so much larger than Christ because she is really the mother of all humanity. And also because, and you'll, if you look at her closely, you'll see she's depicted as a young woman, not as a middle-aged woman as she would be at the time of Christ's death. The idea is what you're seeing depicted is the 15-year-old Virgin Mary holding her infant child while having a vision 
of what is going to happen in the future because Mary knew what was going to happen according to Catholic tradition. And that's why she has such a sad look in so many portraits of her, even when she's holding Christ as an infant, because she knows what is going to happen. And she has, uh, she has willingly offered to make the sacrifice. Uh, and so therefore she would need to be that much larger than Christ. And the third reason, of course, is simply that the triangular shape is that is created by her very large lower body and her head on top is a very common shape to be used in, in Renaissance art. I could go on and on about this sculpture, but we have so many other works to talk about. We're going to continue following Michelangelo's footsteps. Next stop is at Santa Maria Sopra Minerva near the Pantheon, where you will find the risen Christ. It's quite a surprise to see this sculpture because this church is very infrequently visited, despite the fact that there are so many incredible frescoes there, which I talked about last time. The statue of the risen Christ is at the alt the high altar on the left-hand side holding the cross. Michelangelo created this between 1519 and 1521 and famously had to start all over again when he found a black vein inside the marble. So this is actually the second version and the first version was eventually completed by someone else. Next, we have the Moses at San Pietro in Vincoli. This is probably the second most important Michelangelo sculpture in Rome. And lots of people visit this church with the sole purpose of seeing this work of art. Now, the Moses was supposed to be part of an enormous funerary monument for Pope Julius II, the same man who hired Michelangelo to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And this was to be Michelangelo's greatest work of art. That's what he believed when he began work on it. He thought that this was what was going to really make him famous and make his career. And it was extremely frustrating for him that he had to stop in the middle of his work to paint the Sistine Chapel ceiling when he did not identify at all as a painter. Um, he did not eventually complete the entire funerary monument it is really just a very small portion of what it was meant to be. Nevertheless, Moses is complete and it is in, an incredible work of art. If you come in the afternoon, the light from the windows in the church will shine on it. And it is really a powerful work of art. It's so lifelike that according to a legend, when he was nearly finished with it, Michelangelo threw his hammer at the knee of the sculpture, whether that was on purpose or not, no one knows, and said, why don't you speak? Because he felt that the work was so lifelike. Now, fast forwarding to the year 1600, if you know anything about Caravaggio, you know that that is the period that he was active here in Rome. And while Caravaggio has really no contemporaries who were doing anything like what he was doing, with the exception of the artists who began to copy his work after his death, we have an exception in a work of statuary, and that is the work of Stefano Maderno in the church of Santa Cecilia in Trastevere. His sculpture of St. Cecilia after she had been decapitated is so incredibly lifelike. It's so realistic. It is so unlike so many of the other works that were being created at that time in the you know, high Baroque period that it's really, it's really a shock. I believe it's an incredibly moving sculpture. And I love to think that even if he didn't know about it, Caravaggio did have someone else who was creating realist art in Rome at the same time. 
you'll find that sculpture under the high altar at Santa Cecilia in Trastevere. Now we move to Bernini. There are so many sculptures by Bernini in Rome's churches. I'm definitely going to leave out a few. A lot of them are just busts or funerary monuments, not that big, but I will talk about the most important ones. And probably the most famous, at least, is St. Teresa in Ecstasy at Santa Maria della Vittoria Church, not far from Termini. This is a depiction of St. Teresa of Avila having a... How else do I describe this? I mean, you could almost say this is a religious orgasm, a spiritual orgasm. I mean, that's what it looks like if you look at it. And if you look at her diary entries, she describes in detail what she she describes as an angel with a flaming torch who came to her in her sleep and pierced her over and over and over again. And it was the most exquisite pain she had ever experienced. So, I mean, make what you will of that. But if you see the sculpture, you will see a woman in the throes of ecstasy. That work was created between 1647 and 1652. In a very similar vein to that sculpture is the Beata Ludovica Albertoni, another depiction of a young woman, a young nun, in the throes of spiritual ecstasy. She's also depicted lying down on a bed. In her case, it was the moment of her death in which she, according to the stories, experienced a, a religious ecstasy as she died. And uh, it is depicted in much the same vein, but without the angel with the flaming arrow. And you can find that in San Francesco Arripa Church in Trastevere. It's in the last chapel on the left-hand side. Very rarely visited church, and it really is a shame. Heading over to Santa Maria del Popolo, another church that I talked about in the earlier episode on frescoes in churches, you will find, in addition to the Caracci and the, Caravag and the Caravaggio paintings, you will also find Habakkuk and the Angel by Bernini. This is in the second chapel on the left-hand side. It's in the sort of right back corner. This sculpture is really most famous for being one of the pointers in the book Angels and Demons. So lots of people will come to Rome looking for it simply for that reason. Last but not least, Sant'Andrea delle Fratte, which is not far from the Spanish Steps, houses two sculptures of angels by Bernini's own hands. Now, these two sculptures were supposed to adorn the Bridge of Angels near Castel Sant'Angelo. That was the original plan when the bridge was rebuilt and redecorated. Bernini, along with some of his students, created the angels that line that bridge. They each are holding a different item from the Passion. But the Pope at the time decided that Bernini's two, the two that he personally carved with his own hands, were too valuable to be sitting on a bridge exposed to the elements. So he had them placed in that church and replicas were made of Bernini's angels. I hope you have a good time scavenging through Rome's churches to find these amazing sculptures. Join us again. Bye. Katie here. One more thing before you go. If you're like me, you're often looking for other great podcasts to listen to. Well, here's one you might consider. Growing up mixed race, Charmaine Fury says she never completely fit in. Generally, I got to be black if I was around black people. You know, someone might say you won't understand because you're not all the way black. I didn't necessarily get to be Japanese around Japanese people. And despite having two white grandparents, I was never a white person. So that meant finding home was hard. 
that's coming up in season four of Two Lives. <laughs> 